Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. The, the piece of that that I want everyone to take in is that you have to be willing to get quiet and you have to be willing to blaze a new trail. I mean, you have to be willing to go on a path where you feel like, uh, I don't see much on this path except a lot of clutter and a lot of stuff that is kind of freaking me out right now because I don't know anyone else who might be doing this. I feel like that's a misconception that people have like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go on this path and there's going to be um, so many other people on it and it's going to be totally blazed for me and there's just no problem. And that's that has not been my experience. Everyone has to be willing to be really freaking bold. You've got to be that rebel and you've got to get out there and do your stuff. I literally just saw a quote today that I love by Jung that says, if the path before you is clear, you're probably on someone else's. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jenny, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, I'm so excited to be with you today. Yeah, so I actually was uh, introduced to you by way of two people. One of our listeners who I know does publicity work for you. And then when I asked Selena Sue, she said, yeah, she's awesome. And uh, everybody that Selena has recommended so far has been mind-blowingly cool and amazing. Uh, I want to start by asking you, uh, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact did that end up having on your life and the choices you've made with your career? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I like it. We're just like bringing you're bringing the heat straight away. So (laughs) social group, I would say, well, I was a cheerleader and I was the captain of the cheerleaders my senior year. So that would tell you something right there. Uh, It it would be called the quote popular group. Uh, I was able to really navigate through to the different clicks, if you will. I grew up in Florida mm-hmm. in a beach town, a small beach town, just south of Daytona Beach. Like I grew up during the time when MTV Spring Break was coming down to Daytona Beach during spring break. So that'll give you some context for for this story. But it was a very, uh, it was a town with, it had a lot of charm, but I wouldn't say there was a lot of ambition going on. I, I didn't learn ambition basically from, from growing up there. But I, I'm very grateful to have had that as my my base, as my foundation in, in moving through the world. For me, it was easy to be a, a big fish in a small pond there. And so the group that I was in was, yeah, the the cheerleaders and the, the, the person who definitely wanted to go to all the parties. Like being in that, quote, popular crowd was super important to me. I wanted to make the uh, homecoming court. I wanted to get on the Hall of Fame, which at my school, we had this big wall in our auditorium. 
that the quote hall of famers and we call it like the wall of fame and that, you know, X number of students, usually about, you know, four to six students of each graduating class will get picked for that hall of fame. And I remember in my eighth grade year in middle school, we took a tour of the high school and, you know, we, we saw where everything was. And, and I remember going to that auditorium and, and looking up at that wall of fame. And I said, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to get picked for that. And I did. And so it was definitely a place where you could set a goal. And if you were dedicated to it, it, I found it to be relatively easy to achieve that, which was good and bad in life, you know, because it's not always like that in the real world. You know, there's it's a bigger pond out there. But yeah, I definitely navigated through the different groups. We had surfers, we had skaters, we had the hicks, you know, because we had lots of like farmers and country, like the country vibe was going on yep. at that time, like Garth Brooks and um, all of that. And then we had what I called the well people. Those are like the thespians and the super creative artists. But I could navigate through all of those and, and probably a piece of it was I also was on the yearbook staff. I was the editor my last few years. And so I was a big lover of stories and capturing moments and capturing memories. And so I needed to be able to navigate through all the the different groups and, and really have a pulse on what was happening within our school community. So, you know, having not been popular in high school, um, <laughs> I have tons of questions about this because I, I'm very curious, like when you look back on the experience now, like mm-hmm. what impact does it have on your life as an adult? Um, mm-hmm. And also having been popular in high school, I know you're a parent, um, you know, like I, it's funny because I just had my friend Sarah Peck here and she said, yeah, I think junior high is the worst possible thing that we do to children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm curious, like, you know, having had the experience that you did, um, mm-hmm. how does it impact what you do as a parent? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, that's, a very interesting question. I do. I have three kids. Uh, at this point, they're eight, six, and three, two sons, and then my youngest is a daughter. And honestly, I see through so much of that shit now. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can cuss on your show, yeah, but absolutely. I... <laughs> I mean, at the time, it felt so important to me. It was like life or death. That's how it felt, like so significant. Like if I do not get picked for homecoming court, I I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I'll do. I felt like so much was wrapped into that. But part of it, I think, was because it was a small town, we didn't have a lot of other things going on. It's not like I was in New York City or in L.A. or some other place with lots of resources, lots of culture. Like school was it. The entire town showed up for the Friday night football game. Okay. And so that definitely plays plays a role in here. But yeah, I look back and I know that that was a lot of wasted energy. But how it plays a role has impacted me as an adult and then as a parent, I'll take that two separate ways, is that it taught me how to understand what game was being played. Because it's a game. It's all a game. We're still playing games now. And you just have to understand what game you're in and do you want to play it. And so for me, I understood the game. I understand I was going to be there for four years, so I might as well make it count. And then I was going to get out and do something else, which I did. And so for me now as a parent, in the this last school year in particular, I was served up a major curveball. I don't, are you a parent too? Or no? Or no? Okay. All right. So first off, if you do become a parent, you know, there's only so much control you have. <laughs> so I've been so, told. Yes. Okay. So you think you have it all planned out and you're going to choose their school and in these things and that things. And then they're their own people. They just so happen to come through you. All right. I do believe that we choose our parents. And so I believe that my, my children picked me. And so this last school year, you know, we were on this road and we had 
chosen this type of education for our kids, which is uh, called Waldorf education. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's it's like Montessori as a type of you know educational philosophy and approach. Waldorf is another one, and, and I'm sure there's others out there. But our kids were in this Waldorf school, and it was awesome. People moved to this area. Like, we live in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. We have a lot of new, former New York City people here. A lot of, you know, Boston people have moved to this area. And then from all over the world, they, they come to this area. It's a beautiful place. And so the school that we have here is quite um, well regarded and we've loved it. You know, we, we were psyched to be there and the kids are doing great. Well, my oldest son one day, literally legit, just refuses to go to school. Like he's just won't go into the classroom and something happened that really impacted him. You know, there was a catalyst moment for this, but he literally would not go into the class. And regardless of what my husband and I attempted with him, he continuously would not return to the point where he wouldn't even get in the car to go to school. Now, this is terrifying as a parent. What do you do? And he's in second grade at that point. And so, you know, we, it's a, you know, a longer story, but we had to navigate through that. And I really had to release my views around what school is. And for me, looking back on, on my childhood and why school is so important and why, again, those accolades were so important to me, why being in that crowd was so important to me and being the head of this and the leader of that and the best at this was so important was because I didn't have the most um, glorious childhood in terms of support and happy home life. Uh, My parents divorced when I was young. My sister passed away when I was in high school. She's my only sibling. And so the, the accolades and the feeling of belonging at school, it makes a lot of sense when you really dig deep and look at things from that view. And so when this happened with my son, I realized that you know, he was teaching us a lot and we really needed to look at him as a person and what he needed, what, not what we thought he needed or what we hoped he would do because it would just be really convenient because we had everything organized, you know? And so what we came to and what he was really alluding to all along was he wanted to be homeschooled. We looked at all these different schools in our area and now we are homeschooling my oldest son and this coming school year, we will be homeschooling my middle son as well. And so when you ask like, how has it impacted my view as a parent is I, I just see honestly, like there is a place for school. Absolutely. And every kid's different. You have to see what they need and where they're going to thrive. But school is a system. The educational system is a system. And when you understand the system that is being taught and what's going on, like your friends comment about your junior high, I totally get that. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on for many high school is a living hell, not just junior high, high school too. And so when I know that we can remove, you know, some of the stuff that doesn't amount to anything for somebody in their lifetime for our kids. And we'll be on this road for however long it makes sense and they thrive in it. But yeah, now we're on this homeschooling road. So we've just like removed that school piece from, from their lives for the time being. Yeah. Now, what about your relationships as an adult? How has had that having had that experience in high school impacted those relationships? And also what misperceptions do you think people like me who are unpopular in high school have of <laughs> people like you who were popular in high school? 
well, you probably would think that we were just so confident that we had it all together, that we never had a bad day, that everything was easy and smooth. And no, that's not the case. A lot of my, quote, popular friends, as I look back on that time, had really, really tumultuous home lives. Tumultuous, meaning, you know, lack of parenting, lack of nurturing, lack of feeling, you know, really supported. And so when you can be at school and you can feel like you matter there and you have some cred, that that says a lot. And so I want, you know, all those who didn't feel like they were, quote, in the unpopular crowd, you weren't missing anything, okay? <laughs> you didn't miss out. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there were some parties that went down. But, you know, most of my friends that I have now still currently are not those that were in the, quote, popular crowd that I was hanging with. Those were temporary friendships. Those were friendships during that time because it was convenient. And that's what we had going on at that time. Those friendships that have withstood the test of time for me weren't weren't in that whole world. They were those who I'd known since, you know, sixth grade and we were in the gifted class together and we just geeked out on stuff that we we're into. And we were actually kind to each other and we were there for each other when it mattered, not just when, you know, we thought it would look good. So that's what I would say. Um, you mentioned having lost a sister in high school and I didn't want to let that go. And I'm wondering if, um, you'd be willing to talk about it. I'm curious one, I can't fathom that kind of grief, you know, like I, I don't even know how somebody processes something like that. And I'm curious what the experience was like, what you learned from it and more importantly, how you got out of it. Yeah, totally. I'm happy to talk about that. I discuss that a lot in my work and I wrote a book a few years back and that was a big piece of it because it, that, that time in my life had haunted me for so many years to be straight with you. So I was 16 when she died. Her name is Julie and she was 12. She had brain cancer. And, you know, that's something that quote doesn't happen, but it did. It did happen. And it was during those crazy high school years for me when you're just trying to figure out who you are and what you want and where you're going and how you fit in. And so uh, she got, her illness was a little more than a year and it, it, it wasn't until literally like the, the, in the final days of her life that I saw that she was dying. I couldn't accept that. It was, again, I'm, I'm going to school. I got to keep going. I'm, I'm looking perfect on the outside. I got it going on. I can't miss this. I can't miss that. And I wasn't given tools at that time, and I don't really know if, if anyone at that age would know how to move through that, to deal with cancer, to deal with grief, to deal with someone going through something like this. And uh, you have to remember, too, that my parents were divorced at this time. I was living with my mother. We both were, my sister and I. My, we're, at this time, we're in Florida, again, that beach town. My father was living in Atlanta, which was a good, you know, if you were to drive a good like six or seven hours away driving. So it wasn't like he could pop by for things. And, you know, he had his own life going on and, and he, def I definitely inherited my, everything is fine vibe from him, you know, like everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. And so uh, that's just the road I took. I, I just, I couldn't go there. I couldn't fathom that, that she wouldn't get better. And she went through a series of 
uh, you know, surgeries and, and treatments. She went through radiation. She went through chemo. And I just kind of took everything at the surface level. Again, I, I didn't know how to go deep. And that's something I've worked on tremendously in, in later years is, is how not to be afraid of going deep. It's actually my favorite thing. I don't scratch the surface. That's why I like your show is because you don't just scratch the surface. You actually go deep. I feel like that's where that's where all the action is at. So yeah, I just, I, I kind of was like, she's going to get better because I didn't know anybody who had had cancer. I didn't know anyone at that point. If I look back at any person whose sibling had died. And so why would it mine die? I mean, she just has this thing. It's called cancer. She has to go to this, you know, Shans hospital in Gainesville, Florida to get her treatments. And then, you know, everything's good. And it was literally like a few days before she died that, you know, my mom basically put her life on hold and, you know, quit her job or took a leave and to be my sister's caregiver. And again, I'm just trying to avoid and keep, just keep going, you know? And again, and my parents weren't like, Jenny, you know, I know this is hard for you and you're really in it. And maybe we should go get you with a therapist to talk through this or talk to a guidance counselor. Like none of that was offered or really discussed. And so my MO was to keep going in the work and, you know, look perfect and then go out to parties. And I definitely had drinking as part of my, uh, numbing, numbing technique. And it was legit the few days before and it hit me. And, you know, my dad at that point wasn't there and he had only, you know, he was afraid to take a lot of time off of work. He worked for the, um, the government. He worked for the IRS, our favorite government institution, right? <laughs> <laughs> International, right? The Internal Revenue Service. And, um, I got on the phone with him. I called him and I said, dad, you got to get down here. Uh, she's not going to make it. This is it. You need to be down here. This is, don't worry about the time you have off of work. Just get, you got to come down now. And he did. He, he tends to listen to me and he, he came down and he had a few days with her before, um, things shifted. And towards the end, she started getting seizures, which are real crazy. If you've never seen anyone having a seizure, it's it's wild. And she'd get these, you know, you'd just be talking to her like normal. And she had really lost um, quality of life at that point. She was on these medications, um, steroids to, you know, help with um, just the, all the treatments that she was on. The steroids were supposed to help, but her body became really bloated. She had, you know, her, she had different, like her skin was breaking out. She always felt like she had to go to the bathroom, like always had to urinate, which is, that's like not a fun feeling when you do have that but to feel like you always have to do that even when you don't have to so she was dealing with just so much and um and then all of a sudden she would just break out in these seizures which is very disconcerting to watch somebody especially your own sister and so yeah my dad came down and had a few um good days with her I was you know just kind of trying to mentally get myself there but it was still very very hard and you know and I tell the story in my book and the piece that was haunting me was the night before that it, really the night before she she died, I went out, I mentioned Daytona Beach. It was, she died in the month of February, which growing up in Florida, um, spring break was kind of like two to three months long because every place in the world has like a different week for spring break. And people would come to Florida for their spring break celebrations. And so the night before she died, I remember I, I got the call. I was working at um, Domino's Pizza 
I answered the phones there, you know, taking orders. And um, I got a call from my aunt letting me know that she had, Julie had had a major seizure and she was at our local hospital and they were going to come get me and take me to the hospital. And so um, I told my work and I went there and, and basically my sister had to be airlifted to Gainesville, Florida, which is where the University of Florida is which is where I, um, I ended up going into college uh, very soon after my sister died, side note. And uh, they had a really nice, you know, fantastic cancer hospital there called Shans, where she had been getting her treatment. And so she was airlifted that evening to Shans, which is wild when I look back onto that, Srini, because neither one of my parents went with her. And, and I always thought that was weird. I was Because I'm a parent, I was like, I would be on that freaking helicopter. But you know, I, I'm not the parent. And um, so she was sent to Shans that evening. And all of us, the plan was to go the next morning, uh, the whole family and grandparents and all that. And nobody tried to stop me. Or if they did, I don't recall. But I was like, I have plans. I'm going out to Daytona with my friends. No one tried to stop me. And I did. I went out to Daytona, proceeded to get completely blitzed and drove drunk home that night. Not home though. I didn't go home. Um, and I share this because this is, I share this in my book because I carried so much shame, so much guilt around this. When I look back, I mean, I wanted to die too. Why was she dying and not me? I felt like she was the nicer person. She was, she was the better sister. She was just better all around. And I had so much guilt why was she sick? And I was the poster child of health. And um, I didn't go home. I was ran into the guy I was dating, and we went off to these friends of ours' houses. And the next morning, my parents had to track me down. This was pre-cell phone. It's not like they could text me. But they called my friends, who I left up at the club. Like, I didn't even tell them I was leaving. You know, I was just – I was doing everything to, like, get attention. And no one really was seeing that I was in my own hell. And um, the next morning, my parents tracked me down. I felt like pure crap, totally hungover, and had to make like the two-hour drive to Gainesville to go visit my dying sister in the hospital. And um, it was an amazing experience. She asked for her last rites to be administered, which is a very Catholic thing. My sister was quite religious. I wasn't that time my father was and I'll never forget that I will never I write about this in my I'll never forget that moment where she um you know pre-entered the hospital room and she had no strength left in her body at this point it had been ravaged by the cancer and by the treatments and she she lifted her body up and she put her hands together and she prayed and it was just the most beautiful moment to see her in that way and what she, you know, taught me then and continues to teach me now about faith and it's not always fair. It's not like we instantly get a hundred years in this body just because it's not how it works. You know, we, I believe that we have these assignments to fulfill. We have these missions and the greatest gift is when we discover what that is, we know what the calling is, and then it takes a tremendous amount of courage to follow that. But my sister absolutely taught me about grace and courage and uh, moving through really, really horrible situations with such dignity. And she very much is with me today. I'm quite a spiritual woman. I think spirituality is a beautiful thing. I don't think it's fluff. I think it actually matters. And um, it's different than religion. And for me, you know, just that knowingness that 
you know, a soul is, is with us, even if they're not with us in body anymore. I didn't know that the first few years after her death, but I have since learned that. And I'm so grateful that, you know, she, she was my sister and I very much am guided by that experience. It, it governs like every move that I make in my life. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you brought up the idea of following a calling um, or mm-hmm. finding a calling. And I'm curious mm-hmm. um, if you could walk us through your own sort of personal trajectory of how you've come to the point that you have and how you discovered yours. Yeah. So I went to University of Florida when I graduated uh, from high school. And uh, again, that was the place where my sister took her last breath was in the town of Gainesville, Florida. Loved going to school there. It was an awesome place. And I discovered the field of public relations while I was there. I hadn't heard of that when I was in high school. 
And uh, I actually initially went to college to become an English teacher, a high school English teacher. I didn't really know a lot of what was out there for me. And I knew that I was really good at English, like pass the AP English test. And I love teaching. I like that whole concept of teaching. And I'm like, well, I'll go back to my, you know, town where I grew up and I'll be the English teacher and I'll be, you know, the ca- the uh, coach of the cheerleading squad and I'll, I'll teach the yearbook staff. Like, that's just what I'll do. And then I got to college. I was like, ah, actually, I don't think that's going to quite be it for me. So I discovered the field of PR and it was awesome when I discovered it. There was, these were my people. They were work hard, play hard, amazing communicators. And I really dove into my studies in PR. And luckily I had friends who were a few years older than me and they did internships in New York City. Now, again, we're in Florida. We're far away from, from New York and I had not been exposed to New York City. And so it wasn't like this big dream of mine, but it was because because of these, you know, mentors who did it and came back and said, oh my gosh, Jenny, you have to do this. You have to go spend a summer in New York City and intern there. That I said, okay, I never thought about that before, but since you said it was awesome, I'll trust you. And so I applied for an internship the summer after my uh, junior year in college at a few agencies, PR agencies in New York. And I scored one uh, at a you know big PR firm called Porter Novelli. And I worked on these huge clients. Like that summer, it was really just working on the cereal company, Kellogg. And it was good fun. You know, we were launching different brands and doing these like kind of wacky promotions because that's at that time what PR really was. You were just trying to get attention of the media. So they would tell your story in their outlets. And I followed that. After I graduated, they hired me back. Um, and I went, even though I have to say, Trini, that I, I wasn't in love with the work. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was put on the planet to do. It was it was fun. It was good enough. I, I considered actually moving to Chicago um, between those two stints because I... I had this boyfriend and I was like, yeah, totally. I'll go to Chicago. He's in Indiana. He's got two years left of college, but that makes total sense. And then I luckily came to my senses and was like, no, I'm, I'm going to New York. And that, that firm wanted me to come back and work for them. And so I did. And again, working on these big clients, um, at the end, I was traveling around the world with Pele, the soccer player, if you're familiar with him, uh, helping to promote men's sexual health and awareness for my client, Viagra. And so we had you know, lots of interesting experiences, but I couldn't really shake this feeling that that wasn't what I was meant to do. Although I was good at it and I loved the people that I worked with and the the culture itself was quite lovely. Um, People there were supportive and they wanted you to grow and develop and, you know, conquer these new things. The work itself wasn't going to do it for me. And that was a big lesson learned. And what a lot of my, you know, clients and students will come to me for is, you know, they're good at something, but the work isn't going to isn't going to take them basically to that finish line. And so I had to eventually surrender into that. And my sister played a role in that because what happened was it, it I, I think it's still like this, but at that point, the PR industry was so intense. I mean, you were working all the time. My first day on the job, I was there till 10 o'clock at night. And that basically shows you how things rolled there. And so I was working all the time. I was definitely going out. It was like partying. I was working. I was just doing, I was doing like the New York City 20 something thing. And I literally had this breakdown one day in my office, like 
crying at my desk. I sent an AOL instant message because that was what was happening back then to my colleague. Her name is Tracy. And we had learned a few months into our working relationship that she too had a sibling who who died um, very tragically. He was hit by a car um, while traveling through Europe. And so we knew what that felt like together. And, And not many people know what that feels like. And so to know somebody who does, you're instantly bonded. And so I sent her a note and I said, I'm really having a hard time right now. Could you come over to my office? And so she did. And she sat with me for like an hour and I cried and I just told her like what was coming up for me and I was having all these feelings and it was about my sister. And what happened for me, Srini, was that I finally realized that I couldn't run from the grief any longer. I couldn't run from the pain. I had done a really good job up to that point of just masking it all and pushing it under the rug, which I... I feel a lot of your listeners can relate to because this is just like the MO of our society. Just push it under the rug. It's not there. Maybe we'll deal with it later when I have time. You can't really schedule grief. You just have to let it flow through you. It's very messy, but it's worth it. And so I just kind of crumbled and she heard me out. She asked me to share memories of my sister and what I most loved and what we loved doing together and what I most missed about her. And it was very, very cathartic. And it was at that moment where I realized I finally am going to take some time for myself. When she died, Trini, I, she died literally on a Sunday morning, like super early on a Sunday. I was at school on Monday. Okay. And so I didn't know how to stop and I never stopped never stopped. And it was at that moment where I said, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to pause. I'm going to trust myself that it's okay to pause. And so I sent a note to my manager and I basically said, I'm going to take a half day off of work (laughs) this week because it was around the anniversary of her passing which is always an interesting time for me. And if anyone listening who who has experienced death, the anniversary of their passing for me, for y'all, it might be like a very, very potent time. And so it was at that time where I took this half day, which felt very bold, that um, I started really opening up to listening to my inner voice and being guided by spirit. And I got a manicure that day, which sounds kind of random, but it was a self-care move on my part. And the woman sits down to do my nails. And, you know, most of the manicure places in New York, they're all Asian of some descent. And her name tag was Julie, like Julie. And that was my sister. And I basically was like, oh, my God, (laughs) like what is happening right now? This is so rad. And it was at that moment where I just started embracing the spirit of the pause and embracing that we all have what I call the small, still voice inside that guides our way on and guides us home. And so as I was doing this, I started surrendering and releasing this feeling like that I was this PR executive and I wouldn't have any value if I wasn't a PR executive. And so I eventually just started putting up my resume because I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And I landed in a different career as a conference producer, which I didn't even know what that was. Like, I literally was just like, get me out of here. I can't do this PR stuff anymore. And I got scooped up by a conference production company, also in New York City. And their deal, their whole business was to put on these big events for uh mostly corporate executives. And I was in the marketing and business strategy group. And so my portfolio contained conferences around branding, around design, around customer research, around customer service. And 
I fell in love with the work there. Now, the culture left something to be desired. It was very sink or swim and very intense. And I, I wouldn't say I learned a lot when it came to leadership there necessarily, but the work itself was quite captivating. And it taught me how to be an entrepreneur because I got a cut of the profits of my events. And after about a year there, I actually knew what I was doing. You know, the first year was like, oh my God, what's happening? But after about a year, I knew what I was doing and my events became quite profitable. And so I made a nice amount of money there, more money than I ever thought I would make. Like when I went into working, I thought, well, once I make 100K a year, I've, I've done it. Like I've hit the jackpot. And I made more than that there, which was very exciting. But again, that old voice that I had experienced, you know, through the years creeped up and basically said to me, Jenny, what are you doing? This isn't it. Money's great. You know what you're doing here in terms of the work, but this isn't what you were put on this planet to do. This isn't your assignment. It's simply been preparing you. And so my move at that point was to you know, listen to the to that voice, listen to that guidance and, and make a move. And so I decided to follow my love of yoga. I had been practicing yoga at that point consistently for about six years. And there was something about it that just said, Jenny, go through a yoga teacher training. Go through that. And I did. I signed up for a yoga teacher training. Um and I, that began right after I did like a month-long journey through Asia, which was really awesome. We went to China and Japan, my husband and I, and I was able to pull off a, a month off of work, which still freaking floors me <laughs> that I did that. Um, and so I trained to become that yoga teacher, and it was at the end of that training that I just got the courage up to quit my job. And so the whole, you know, finding the calling and knowing that the piece of that that I want everyone to take in is that you have to be willing to get quiet and you have to be willing to blaze a new trail. I mean, you have to be willing to go on a path where you feel like, uh, I don't see much on this path except a lot of clutter and a lot of stuff that is kind of freaking me out right now because I don't know anyone else who might be doing this. I feel like that's a misconception that people have like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go on this path and there's going to be um, so many other people on it and it's going to be totally blazed for me and there's just no problem. And that's that has not been my experience. Everyone has to be willing to be really freaking bold. You've got to be that rebel and you've got to get out there and do your stuff. I literally just saw a quote today that I love by Jung that says, if the path before you is clear, you're probably on someone else's. Mm. It was such a great reminder. If the path before you is clear, you're probably on someone else's. And so for me, I was like literally jumping into the woods. It was dark. It was scary. I quit my six-figure job one day, Srini, did not have a job, did not have a plan. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start this business as a coach, and I'm going to have a podcast, and I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to get my website out there and start taking on clients. I didn't know any of that. I literally just stepped out into the void and trusted that I would figure it out because that's what happens when you when that call is so big. And for me, I felt like I had the support of, uh, at the time, I just felt like, you know, my sister was definitely there. And I had, you know, other people in my life who've passed away that I, I feel their presence and I absolutely feel their guidance. And that's how I know how to follow that call. Mm. Wow. Um, several questions uh, come from this. Do, one, do you think that everybody has this thing in their life, this calling? Mm -hmm. um, two, 
you know, do you ever think that, you know, people like us have, have done a disservice to people because we've made them aware of something that has suddenly made mm-hmm. them more miserable than they were before? Because um, mm. I think that there is, you know, sort of a, a curse of what we do with this work in that you mm-hmm. perpetuate this, oh, you know, find your calling, find your passion, live the four hour work week. Mm-hmm. And at moments, I really wonder, have we done a disservice to people by, you know, creating this narrative that has suddenly made them dissatisfied when they weren't before? Mm. Yeah, that's a powerful question. Well, I think there's many ways that you can explore your calling, you know, play with it. I have a a line that I use, cash in on your calling. And that's not to say that everyone is meant to go dive in, you know, full tilt on the call. What I did was quite bold. And I honestly don't recommend it to most people. It took, I mean, f- for a lot of people, that would be just irresponsible, like really stupid (laughs) to do that. But in my situation, I was able to, I was able to pull that off. For those who feel like they have this work outside of what they're doing, quote, for their day job or for the bulk of their waking hours, there's ways that you can explore that without, you know, just throwing out everything else. Maybe it is just going into a training, um, you know, taking a weekly painting class, or if you want to write a book, perhaps it's going and being a part of a writing group, you know, and it could be a local one in your area. You know, online is awesome. And I know that you and I, we get a lot of fuel from that. And we've built uh, movements where we can serve people all over the world. But I also feel that seeing people face to face, nothing will replace that because it just can't. And so for those who feel like their calling is outside of what they're doing now, take steps in getting there. Be a part of a community in person or online where you can have these like-minded conversations and be happy with where you are now. Like there's, there's nothing that will steer your joy faster than you know, comparing your life to somebody else's. And you honestly don't know what's going on behind anybody else's beautiful veneer. It's very easy to, you know, filter our way through this beautiful Instagram life or this perfect, you know, Facebook existence. And a lot of it is just crap, you know? And so what I want people to take in is, you know, how can you immerse yourself in this, this calling that you feel that you have or this environment that you feel is for you and, and do it in a way that isn't going to completely sabotage what you've built already or, you know, put some of your relationships on um, caution, if you will. And there's there's so many cool resources for that now. I mean, I live – one of the reasons why I love where I live, Srini, is the Berkshires is – it's just freaking rad, first off. Um, but we have this place 20 minutes down the road from me called Kripalu. Are you familiar with Kripalu? Have you heard of it? I'm not. I probably have heard of it, but I'm not. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So it's the largest yoga wellness and personal development retreat center in North America. All right. It's so good. Now we're, I think you're in California. Mm -hmm. So you all have the Esalen Institute out there. And so this is kind of a, a version of that, if you will, but it's huge. We also have Omega Institute near us. And so at this place, there is year round programming with just very interesting things going on, amazing teachers, amazing trainings, amazing immersions, retreats. 
And I would encourage your listeners, just go to something that you're interested in. Just go. And if it's just something that you do, you know, once a year or you start developing relationships with people and then maybe you start your own group like, hey, I really want to write a book. And so I started this writer's group or I wanted to bring women together. You know, one of my favorite things is is guiding and, and leading what I call sacred circle. It's a very female thing. We've been doing this for eons. I do this in my retreats. And, uh, and I teach my, my, I have a coaching school. And so I teach my students to do this too. It's quite powerful. And so for our listeners, like, I want to do that. I want to just bring women together, uh, for a full moon ritual, every full moon or every new moon, freaking do it. Freaking do it. You can still keep doing your, your day job or, you know, be that stay at home parent or whatever it is that you're in right now. But Bring this other piece in too. And what I want to remind everyone of as well is that we are all in cycles and seasons. And so whatever cycle or season that you're in right now, there is a reason. And so if you're in this job that you don't feel is the end game for you, there is something that you are meant to learn there right now. Every job I was in was a stepping stone for me to get to where I am right now. Even in my darkest moments at those places where I just felt like, oh my gosh, I can't be here another day. Well, there was a reason why I was there for another day because I was meant to get something from that and to give something to that. So have a good attitude, be your best, trust that you are being strengthened, you are being chiseled, you are being prepared for the assignment. And if this is where you are right now, that is where you're meant to be. But don't just put the other stuff on pause forever. Be a part of something, sign up for a training, be a part of a course, be a part of a community where you feel like you're moving in the direction that that gives you a lot of juice and gives you a lot of joy. Oh, wow. Um, how did you emotionally handle the uncertainty at the beginning of all of this? Oh gosh. Yoga. <laughs> Thank God for yoga. And that's why I went to India. I shared with you before we started the, um, the inter the chat today that I was just in India, um, which just changed my life. Um, and it was because of yoga that I went to India. And so yoga, honestly though, Srini, when I quit my job and, and I, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur straight away. I didn't know I was going to train to become a coach, which is what I eventually found after, you know, taking that hiatus basically from like the corporate world. I didn't know that stuff. And so I, I had a lot of free time on my hands and I did a lot of yoga, like a lot. I basically was going to practice, you know, going to class like five days a week. I was so healthy. <laughs> I was so healthy. And yoga, the point of yoga is not to be able to contort yourself into these, you know, wild shapes, but it's to achieve mastery over the mind. That is the purpose. And that's why I wanted to go to, you know, the motherland, India, to really feel that energy of, of where it came from and, you know, how it's impacted that country and the people and just the energy there. And so I did a lot of yoga. I practiced a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, which I still practice now. I mean, today it's not, I won't say that, oh, now I've been in business for myself now for 10 years. Like I don't have any fears anymore. That is such a lie. <laughs> They're still there. Every day I've got to step up and practice. Um, the meditation's huge. The journaling is huge. The having some kind of program that I'm following. I do a lot of, you know, abundance work, prosperity work. I do a lot of, you know, that movement meditation, just being around my children and seeing the way that they move through the world and how they just, they'll fall on their face. They're like, whatever, I'm just going to get up and 
go for it again. No big deal. You know, all of that has served me well. But I'll say those who are in those beginning stages, you know, have some sort of a practice. Uh, movement practice is great. It doesn't have to be yoga. Like, go run. My, my husband is a big tennis player. Um, he does traveling for his work. He's a television sports producer and he doesn't love to travel. Honestly, like when he's away for longer stretches, he's not excited about that. It gives him some anxiety to think about that. And so before he goes away, he amps up his, his tennis game and he's playing a lot of tennis before he goes away. So I find that that exercise, that being out in nature in particular is a huge help it endorphins just you know even though I, I where I live it's we're surrounded by um, just green everywhere it's this very very lush area and I have trees like every window in my studio I have trees everywhere and I look at the trees and th- this has served me throughout my journey and I'm looking at that you know the tree especially in winter when some of our trees lose their leaves and I'm, I'm going the tree's not freaking out right now because it's lost its leaves it knows that this is the season that it's in and eventually it's going to grow its leaves back but right now it's in winter and it's gonna you know just be in winter right now my trees are in summer and they're just rocking the whole summer vibe and so I I take a lot of cues from nature and um, and I really just do my best to stay present to trust that you know we're all (laughs) our bodies are on loan and we are here having this you know human experience and what are we going to do with it? How are we going to be of value to the world? And how are we going to enjoy this day to the best of our ability? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like mastery of the mind is something that is a lifelong practice. Yes. 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 Wow. Well, I think that makes a, a very uh, fitting end to our conversation. So I have one final question that mm-hmm. I want to ask you, which is how we finish all of our interviews of the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I love this question. The courage to be who they are with whomever they're with in whatever situation in whatever place, you know, the, the, the remove the removal of the mask so much of our lives we've learned to put on masks to again play that game to play the part and i just turned 40 this year and i have to say shrini that was a big catalyst pivot wild <laughs> moment for me and that was also a root of me going to india that was a way i celebrated and I know for me, looking back, it was a lot of those, the masks and who do I feel like I'm supposed to be in this situation? Who do they want me to be right now? And I really let that go. And so if you want to be unmistakable, then be who you are. Show up as you. When you walk into a room, that room should know that you're there. Hmm. Well, uh this has been absolutely phenomenal. I can see why you were recommended as a guest. Uh, where can people learn more about your work? Yes. My main hub is jennyfennig.com. My name, jennyfennig.com. Come find me there. And I also have a fab podcast when you're not listening to your amazing podcast. It's called Get Gutsy. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? 
Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.